Good morning, everyone. How y'all doing? Good? Okay. My name is Jacob. This is my wife, Sarah, and we're the, we're the Beatigers. Um, so uh, this morning, we're going to discover how the gospel of Jesus empowers Christians to have a bold witness. Christian boldness comes through personal relationship with Jesus Christ, especially through prayer and study of his word. More than this, boldness comes from a deep and rich personal encounter with the gospel. Hear the word of the Lord. We'll be reading in Acts 4, 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? Who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Thank you, Jacob and Sarah. Good morning, everyone. I add my greetings to those that you have heard. Very excited to worship the Lord through studying his word together. If you have a Bible, please keep it open to Acts chapter 4. If you do not have a Bible, we have them conveniently located on the back of the pew in front of you. Take it, open it. We're going to use it. If you want to use your phone, that's okay too. But just know when you get texts and stuff, you're going to be tempted to be distracted. Uh, we really want to worship God by submitting ourselves and opening ourselves to the, His Spirit working in our lives. Today, uh, we continue our series, Witness, talking about the bold witness. And right now, in this cultural moment, uh, boldness is a very rare commodity for Christians. Maybe it's a supply chain issue, I don't know. Uh, but more and more, Christians are not being bold. It's been highlighted for years, it was 2018, that Barna released a report on the uh, openness that Christians have to, to share the gospel. And they had found, since they started keeping data almost 25 years beforehand, um, that Christians were hesitant more than ever in 2018 to share what difference Christ can make in your life as Lord and Savior. And even a larger number was beginning to believe that Christians actually shouldn't share the gospel with people. And beyond this 2018 report, through COVID, post-COVID, we're seeing data all over the place, that, especially among Gen Z, that it isn't appropriate. 
so the worldview is, for Christians to have a truth and to share the truth, even if it's in love. It turns out what is needed most in this moment, the love of God shared through the truth of the gospel, Christians are hesitant to do so now more than ever. In this cultural moment, we have a crisis of Christian courage. But yet, boldness is is demanded at such a time as this. The culture wars, by the way, they're over. The current that is carrying us in this post-Christian Western culture is not going anywhere. We need to have a marathon mentality. Understanding that if you're a Christian in here today, then you will be a part of a remnant in our country, a minority for the rest of your life. And so to have a a sustainable source and strength for Christian courage, for boldness, is essential for us to study and unpack as God's people so that we can live in love with conviction in our classrooms and in the courtrooms in their schools, and in shared relationship with one another, in our homes, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our families, but also in our work, in our neighborly activity, economic activity, through all of our life and all of our labor. Now the world offers us different champions, different inspiration of boldness. One of my favorites is Winston Churchill. This guy has so many amazing stories. It is fun to read about Winston Churchill. One of my favorite is that during the the German bombing of London in World War II, known as the Blitz, Churchill famously, and very much against those whose job it was to keep him safe, against their counsel, Churchill would actually run to where the bombings were happening. He didn't run away from them and hide. He actually ran to them. And he tried to get the newspapers to get pictures of him on the rooftops of buildings shooting at planes so that people would see his boldness and be inspired. If you're like me, this kind of of champion boldness, this, this inspiration of boldness, it sure makes you feel courageous in the moment. But when crisis comes, I'm not running at any planes dropping bombs. I'm going to hide. I'm not getting on a rooftop and and shooting at planes. I'm getting in the basement. There's something about the, the inspirational champions of boldness that we have in our world that is truly admirable. But when we're honest, it doesn't lead to sustainable boldness in our hearts. We're more like the Israelite army in the story of David and Goliath. We might look good, we've got our armor on, we've got our weapons, and we're gathered for war, but every day when Goliath comes out and asks for someone to fight, none of us have the boldness to step forward. We need a champion, someone greater than even David. I can identify with Peter, who in the moment of Christ's crisis, when he was being arrested and betrayed in the garden, What did Peter say? Peter said, I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. 
I'm going to stay with you until I die. And then he, he was bold enough to take his sword out and cut off the ear of a servant of a Roman soldier. A lot of us, like Peter, we sound bold. We speak boldly. But when the crisis really comes, what did Peter do? He denied that he even knew Christ three times to strangers, and the last one was a little teenage servant girl. That he was so adamant in his denial that he knew Christ that Peter literally called down curses. That's what Matthew 26 tells us. Saying things that I can't say in this pulpit to define the fact that he did not know Jesus, that level of denial. There's actually strength we're going to find in the source, the headwaters of Christian boldness when we can be honest and say we're a lot less like Churchill and we're a lot more like the Israelite army who needs a champion and a representative. We're a lot more like Peter who sounds good but doesn't finish because we don't have the self-resolve. We're going to see that a bold Christian witness actually is funneled and fueled by a sincere and authentic relationship with Jesus. And that the, the river of God's Spirit working in our life is fed by tributaries of, uh, of prayer and of study of the Word and community. But the headwaters of this is an authentic gospel encounter that will flow a, from which will flow a river of living water, a river of boldness through the life of the believer even in a time of drought. So before we study the word of the Lord, will you go with me to the Lord of the word in prayer and ask for his blessing? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for relationship with you and re redemption and renewal. We ask King Jesus that you'd wake us up with your grace. Open the eyes of our hearts. We want to know you and your work more fully so that we can serve you more faithfully and fruitfully. King Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us as we study your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, we are all in Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to give you an overview of the passage. We're going to walk through it together. We're going to note the two tributaries that feed this river of Christian boldness, and then we're going to really unpack the headwaters, okay? So first, uh, I want to establish boldness as a vehicle for witness. Our, uh, the word boldness really ties together the book of Acts. This series is based on Acts 1-8. When Jesus is commanding his disciples to go, to go uh, to be his witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is, is about the church, his disciples, filled with the Spirit, being witnesses to the ends of the earth. And boldness is an essential ingredient. We're going to see that it's three times repeated in our chapter today, twice in the passages that we read. But if you look at the end of the book of Acts, the actual last verse of the book of Acts shows you how it ties everything together. Because Paul is in prison. And in chapter 28, verses 31, uh, he he's described the gospel is going... Uh, it, he, he's in chains, but the gospel of Christ is going forward with, quote, all boldness and without 
hindrance. So boldness, it, it, it thematically unites the book of Acts. And it's actually central to our understanding of Christian calling, especially in such a time as this. Now, immediately, the context of our passage is in the expanding church in Jerusalem. You'll remember at Pentecost, 3,000 were added to the number. By the time we get here, just a couple of chapters later, uh, we are finding probably about 5,000 Christians. So the church is expanding in numbers, but the more that happens, the more they are exposed to external opposition. Okay, so if you look at the beginning of this passage, when they were released, they, in that context, is Peter and John. And we're going to unpack Peter and John, but they were released from being persecuted by the religious leaders of their day. And you can read verses 18 to 20 and see that they were commanded, they were threatened not to talk about Jesus, not to talk about the resurrection, not to talk about the forgiveness of sin, or else you got it coming to you. But Peter and John were bold enough to say, we don't serve the word of, of men. We serve the work of God. And they come into this passage, and, and we're going to unpack. Now let's walk through this, do a quick overview of the section. Keep your Bibles open, because we're just going to walk through this. Uh, the first thing that we see is that they proclaim the news of persecution. Uh, it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and elders have said to them. Now, let me ask you this by way of self-reflection. How do you react when you get new, horrible headlines? Like when you see bad news in the news, where does your heart go for hope? What do, what do you do? When you read about our post-Christian world, our post-Christian country, making it difficult for Christians to practice, to follow Jesus, to stand for truth, what's the first thing you do? You sign a petition, send some emails, put something on social media, figure out how you can work with the powers of our world to try to change laws. You know, it's not, those aren't bad things, but they expose in our heart where our hope really lies. And we've got to be honest as Christians what we do when we have hard and horrible headlines in our fallen world. Because it will expose where we need to repent and to truly trust God as king. So what did the early church do when they got the hard news, the horrible headlines that persecution was upon them? Look down at verse 24. It says that when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. They said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You see what they did? They prayed. They became dependent on God's sovereignty. They became dependent on God's power. They emptied themselves of any sort of strength. They didn't rely on their social networks. They relied on the Lord in prayer. They heard the news and they bowed their hearts. They prayed to the living God who has authority over everything, who created the world and rules the world at this moment. As they prayed, they claimed God's promises, 25 to 26. Who through the mouth of your father David, now this is quoting Psalm 2, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. They claim God's word, the power of God's word. They're praying and they're claiming God's word. They're specifically quoting Psalm 2. And if you know Psalm 2, it's one of my favorites. I'll be honest with you. I have 150 favorite Psalms, but Psalm 2 is one of them. All right. And in Psalm 2, when, when David is talking about uh, the nations plotting against the Lord who's on his throne, the Lord is not intimidated. He's not scared. He's dealt with empires before. And it says that he laughs at them. And so the early church in prayer is claiming the power and the promises of God's prophetic, spirit-filled word. And they're believing it. And not only are they believing it, but they're experiencing peace through it. Verse 27, or 28, excuse me. To do whatever they say to God, your hand and your plan predestined to take place. You see the peace that they have in God's plan? God, we know your word shows that you're on the throne. We don't see it, but we know it. And we trust your plan. And not only that, you know what they're acknowledging? That he predestined it. That the troubles that they're experiencing were actually planned by God's sovereignty. Friends, if you're not uncomfortable with the level of God's sovereignty in this world, then you don't really know it. God is truly working everything according to the counsel of his will. And you know what kind of peace that gives you? It gives you a kind of peace where you see problems as opportunities. Look at the next verse. It's unbelievable what they how they pray. They say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats, talking about the people who are breathing threats, and grant to your servants protection as we go hide and run away from the culture. No, 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 I'm sorry. That's the wrong thing. Now read verse 29 again. This is what it says. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and kick their heads in and defeat them and change our circumstances so that we can be prosperous and have a good economy. Wait, no, I'm sorry. It's the English standard version I need to read. Let's read the ESV and read what they actually pray. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. You see that? They didn't ask for God to change their circumstances. They didn't ask for God to crush the enemies. They asked for boldness. Because something happens when you know that Jesus is really king. Something happens when you know that the promises of God's word are true. Something happens inside of us when we're dependent upon God in prayer. Where we want to be a part of proclaiming the good news. To speak the truth. And this prayer for boldness, it actually continues and it bears fruit in their life. Look at verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Okay? You see it? That the tributaries that feed boldness are prayer, the word of God, in community with the people of God. 
It's very clear from this passage. The way that this river of God inside of us, the, the spirit working, gets fed by tributaries, other streams, it's this continual inflow into the ecosystem of our souls, of prayer, fellowship, and the word. You see that in the passage? Yes, it's very clear, Mitchell. And we understand it historically, friends, we do. I mean, all through history, we see this same paradigm. Daniel in Babylon, Joseph in Egypt, Esther in Persia, Ruth in Moab, Moses in Joshua in the wilderness in the promised land, Deborah in the time of the judges. We can go on and on and see how the prayers of the people of God combined with the word of God feeds and fuels boldness for the glory of God no matter how contentious the culture. What we don't do often is celebrate this reality personally. And I want to share a story with you from our First Presbyterian Church family. Is that okay? All right. I'm glad both of you agreed it's okay. <laughs> so I have been truly humbled by seeing how God's Spirit is using His Word. I am seeing hearts touched like I haven't in a long time just by virtue of the power of his word. And last week was no exception. We talked about discipleship and, and, and that being the mission of God as we're called to live as witnesses and simply defining it as learning to enjoy Jesus and follow Jesus together so that we can show others how to love and follow Jesus too. And, and, and it, I used an illustration of a recipe identifying that there are things that we're passionate about. There are skills that we know that we instinctively share with other people. And one of those is recipes. And someone who was hearing me, uh, hearing the sermon, the word of God, touched by the spirit of God, made a connection. They said, you know, I do love cooking and I do love sharing my recipes, but I'm scared to death about sharing my love for Jesus and his recipe for life. And so this guy decided that he was going to pray and ask God to lead him somebody where he, could, where he could share his love for Christ and the recipe for life. And God put someone on his heart. And he wrote a promise down. And he took that promise, and he went over to somebody's house on Sunday afternoon. And he said, I just feel led to give this to you, and I'm going to ask you to pray about this. Just pray about it, and then I want to meet with you later in the week and talk about it. And you know what that person did? They called the cops to have him trespass. No, they didn't do that. <laughs> they immediately started slandering him. and No, they didn't do that. They didn't kick him in the shins. They didn't throw rocks at him. You know what they did? They thanked him. And it turns out that as they met Thursday night later in the week, that this person's boldness, after praying and meditating on God's word, to just share with somebody and then to unpack this recipe for life in a time of struggle, it was a blessing to the person who received it and also to the person who gave it. You see, when we experience boldness personally, God uses his spirit through his word to give us strength to stand for what we believe, to share the hope that we profess, to holistically love a world that is lost, to radically forgive people who have harmed us, to surprisingly share in generosity what God has generously given to us, 
and to sacrificially serve in the name of Jesus. Prayer is the dependent posture that gives us power. And God's word gives us a solid ground and strength to stand on. But we need more than this. If you're like me, if we stop here, it's just like another couple of things on my Christian to-do list. Okay, I need to read the Bible, I need to pray, I need to go be bold. What's for lunch? But that's not how the Lord works. You see, we don't need to strengthen our moralistic framework. We need an authentic and deep encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you look down at your Bibles in verse 23 again, the they in this passage is speaking about Peter and John. And I have already mentioned that there's three times the word boldness is repeated in this chapter, and I want to take you up to verse 13. Because when the religious leaders in Jerusalem saw James and John, this was their assessment. When they saw the boldness, excuse me, the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, uncommon men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The religious leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and noticed that they possessed something more powerful than their religion, deeper than the knowledge that they had, more than the right answers, more, more significant than their pedigree, more marking than their patriotism, or even their piety. They demonstrated as unschooled, that literally means unlettered laymen. They had no business uneducated men trying to teach, but they noted that they had been with Jesus. They had been taught by Jesus. They shared the wisdom of Jesus, and they shared his word with prophetic authority. Now, Peter is the same man who I identified with at the beginning of this, of this sermon, along with the Israelite army, the same man that denied Jesus three times, the same man that called down curses on a servant girl, that in Jesus' most significant hour of need, Peter betrayed him. Now, how in the world does a man like Peter who betrayed Jesus end up having the boldness for Jesus that we read in this passage? This is the headwaters. It's a simple formula. That radical repentance and returning to Jesus for forgiveness and restoration plus radical love from God who pursues us to give us forgiveness and restoration, that equals Christian boldness. You see, Peter went out fishing, John 21, he was no longer fishing for men. He was fishing for fish. And when he saw Jesus on the beach, read this in John 21 later today, he put his clothes on and he swam to Jesus on the beach 100 yards. He saw it was Jesus and he ran to him. And Jesus forgave him. Peter returned to Christ like the prodigal son, radically repenting like we all need to do. And he was restored and forgiven. It's, it, this is the foundation of what he will later write in 1 Peter. Read it later. Chapter 1, verse 3 to 7. It will blow you away. 
that this guy who was a powder puff, I mean a wuss of wusses, he became a powerful preacher who proclaimed the gospel even in the midst of persecution, celebrating persecution, whom Paul would call in Galatians a pillar of the church. He didn't do it on his own strength. He didn't do it in self-resolve. He did it because he was honest with his sin. He was honest with his failure. He was honest with the unconditional radical love of God. I'm going to dare to say that the first step to Christian boldness is for us to step towards Christ in repentance, to repent of our idolatry, of all those things that we find more significant than our Savior, to repent of our materialism and our greed that we hold on to our greed and not give generously as God has given to us, that we repent of our worship of social and societal standing, that we carried as more significant than being a child of God. We must repent of our anger. We must repent of our manipulation. We must repent of our self-righteousness. We must repent of all of those things we cling to that lead to the crumbling of our foundation when crisis comes so that we can grab on or rather allow God's grace to grab onto us. Because the second part of this equation is exactly that. This amazing picture when Peter's on the water of Jesus coming to him. What kind of God is this? There's no other religion. No other worldview where a God, the creator of the universe, in his most adamant time of need, is betrayed, and yet he pursues to offer grace. What wondrous love is this, that we, sinners, can be called children of God, that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us, and he rose from the grave. He pursues us, and he finds us, and he meets us, and he restores us. He renews us. He recommissions us, and he sends us out for Peter to be the rock, to feed his sheep. And if you read John 21, you'll be fascinated to see that at the end of Jesus' recommissioning, he tells him, he's like, man, you're going to face a lot, a lot of persecution. They're going to kill you. And then he says, come and follow me. <laughs> the same guy who's like me, failure. Jesus grabs and recommissions. You see, friends, the headwaters of Christian boldness, it's not your self-effort. It's not your own strength. It's the unconditional love of God. It's a deep encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're like me, or if you know me, I guess I'll say, then you know I need to repent. I got a lot of sin to repent of. And there's consequences from our sins, isn't there? But God's word tells us that his mercies are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. God's word tells us that Christ died as a propitiation for our sin. That God's no longer, his wrath is satisfied. He's no longer angry if we're in Christ. God's word tells us that there's no condemnation. 
And I, I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. It's a sin that wars within me. But Paul reminds us that there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. And church, we need boldness now more than ever. We need boldness on our campuses. We need boldness in the classrooms. We need boldness in the courtrooms. We need boldness in our homes, in our families, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our neighborhoods. We need boldness at your workplace. We need boldness everywhere and with everyone. But the first step to Christian boldness is to step back in repentance, to be restored and renewed by God's grace. May he be pleased to revive us with his grace and by his love, that we might, from his grace, show his love to this world, no matter what it cost us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that our sin is not the end of the story, that your mercy truly is new every morning. Thank you that you redeem and restore, and that you move us from our rebellion and our even rejection of you to stand for truth and love because of what you've done for us. Lord, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for being afraid to speak up. Forgive me for loving my status and my resources more than loving you and your glory and your kingdom. Forgive me, Lord, for the ways I haven't controlled myself, for trying to manipulate. Forgive me for not always reflecting your light and your love and being salt in this world that's decaying. Please purify us of all unrighteousness and restore unto us a joy of our salvation that we might sing and tell of your story until you come back in glory. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Please stand and let's respond to God's word through singing our closing hymn together. Hymn number 560, I love to tell the story.